I would say that your handstand work and the handstand, you know, repetitions and things that you want to do in a handstand still are being benefited just by simply doing barbell work. And mm -hmm. I would agree. You would agree with that. So it just because you're getting repetitions, it, it, you know, I would say the barbell we can say is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration of, of what a handstand is. And I believe the same is true vice versa. A weightlifter that is a sport specific weightlifter is going to benefit in position, strength, stability, mobility by getting into a handstand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show, where my number one goal is to bring you the tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change athletes' lives. My name is Dave Tilly. Today on the podcast, I am very excited to bring to you uh, an episode that I actually did as a guest interview on my good friend, Chad Vaughn's podcast, who uh, has started the Barbell Mobility Podcast. Many people may know Chad from Power Monkey Camp. He was a very accomplished Olympic-level, two-time Olympian, Olympic weightlifter, and he also is a phenomenal uh, Olympic lifting coach himself now. Uh, we've worked together at uh, Power Monkey Camp for the last five to six years. He's a very good friend of mine, and uh, he asked me to come on this podcast, and I wanted to make sure I took this episode and brought it on the Shift Show for a couple of reasons. One is I want to support Chad, and I want to make sure everyone's aware of his new podcast, which is phenomenal. And two, I really wanted to make sure that um, this information got up because it's kind of like a little bit of an overview masterclass on how I approach helping people with shoulder mobility issues. I have a lot of questions from people. How do I get gymnasts better overhead shoulder flexibility? How do I help weightlifters or recreational fitness athletes get better shoulder flexibility. And this really has pretty much all my thoughts uh, kind of connected in a nice little streamlined approach. So uh, I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Chad is, like I said, a good friend of mine. So please go ahead on over and support the Barbell Mobility Podcast. He has a lot of great episodes coming on. And yeah, I think that if you guys enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and just rate and review and let us know uh, how many, you know, different aspects you were enjoying. Is there different topics you enjoy, different subthreads, stuff you want to know more about. Um, and then also, if you could do us a massive favor and go ahead and just share it on any social media that you're a fan of. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever your favorite is, take some clips, toss it up, tag us. We'd love to hear from you about what you enjoyed. So hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Chad Vaughn. Dr. Dave Tilly, thank you so much for joining me again. Chad, my pleasure, buddy. Always a pleasure to chat. Always a pleasure. Excited to chat with you again. You know, we, we've done uh, another recording before this just on mobility in general, talking about how best to, to improve your mobility and, and what that came down to was uh, consistency and, and looking at certain types of mobility. And what we want to do for this recording is take this concept of being consistent, of course, mm -hmm. um, and mobility in general, but for one specific area of the body for one specific position. And the, and the position we're going to cover today are the shoulders specifically for overhead mobility and overhead positioning. So first of all, Dave, tell me why it's important for overhead barbell athletes or even overhead athletes, meaning a, a gymnast that's getting into a handstand, doing handstand walks, whatever that may be. Why is it important to have good shoulder mobility, good shoulder flexibility? And then kind of how does that relate to stability, shoulder stability? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me to help them with overhead positions, I'd probably be retired by now. Right. Yeah. So like this is something that is commonly, um, a lot of people want to work on it. A lot of people want to improve it because um, it, it correlates to a lot of different skills that many people want to work on, right? Whether it's, like you said, gymnastics, CrossFit athlete, weightlifting athlete, everybody has this overhead position. And so um, I think it's important for two reasons. And contrary to maybe what people know about my life on the medical side, 
I actually usually start the conversation about performance, right? I think more people, including myself, just want to help people reach their goals and whatever they want to you know, achieve. I think that we have to realize that improving mobility or improving your overhead position is probably going to be performance-wise what, what's going to get you to the next level for a lot of people, right? So we could talk about a, um, a, a recreational everyday weightlifter who just wants to go to the gym twice a week and get away from their busy life with their kids and they just want to lift weight because it makes them feel good, right? They're probably going to plateau in how much weight they can get overhead or how they can finish a clean and jerk or their position with snatching if their shoulder mobility is stuck. And if they don't have that last 10 degrees to really stack weight well over their head, those um, maybe uh, inconsistencies or some of those technical development pieces are going to be exposed when they start to get their heavier weights or when they're trying to do some things over and over. So there's that one end of the non-competitive everyday human who just loves weightlifting because it makes them feel good and it's awesome. Those people are literally the exact same situation as some people we've been fortunate to work with who are international weightlifters trying to get one kilo more on the bar so they can win uh, a spot on a national team and go to the Olympics, right? Those same exact things is that to have the maximal amount of weight over your head, you're going to need flawless overhead positions because that is how the body can handle stress most optimally. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of this extreme performance, whether performance for you is health and wellness and just loving working out. CrossFit, gymnastics, whatever, or it's the extreme end of I'm trying to be the top 0.001% in my field and win a gold medal. So for performance goals, you're going you're gonna to see this show up, right? And you could say it's a one uh, rep max lift for an Olympic weightlifter or someone, but also the CrossFit athlete. I think I talked to Dave and everybody else at camp, even last camp about this. Think about if you had 5% missing overhead mobility, every power snatch you catch in a 30 30 rep workout or every yep. time you have to handstand walk or every time you have to do uh, chin ups or chest to bars, you're going to be just that much more energy inefficient. You're going to be putting out just a little bit more energy than you probably should to stabilize the barbell overhead for all those push jerks or all those handstand walks versus being technically sound mm -hmm. and having good positions and being efficient when, you know, shit hits the fan down the road in that last last two minutes of the workout. Sorry, if this is a PG friendly podcast, mm -hmm. but when you have two more minutes of the workout, right. And you have just a little bit more gas in the tank than somebody else. You're, you're going to probably be okay, right? Because you haven't blasted yourself apart. So that's kind of the, the one side of it. The other side of it is the injury prevention and the health performance rights, right? Having better positions allows the stress to be optimally shifted across your body. So you have really crummy overhead position or you're constantly, you know, unstable, you might be stressing your rotator cuff just a little bit more. You might be stressing your labrum just a little bit more. You might be putting more pressure on the nerves and the discs of your neck because your head is forward when you catch. And that's going to catch up with you probably mm -hmm. when all that stress exceeds your capacity. So if you look at some of the best, best athletes in weightlifting, CrossFit, gymnastics, they are absolutely disciplined and meticulous about maintaining their range of motion and position, but also building strength at those end ranges and trying yep. to be really overhead. So yeah, that's the long-winded answer to the performance side, but then also the, the health and the injury risk side. Perfect. Perfect. One thing that I want the listeners to take note of is you, you talked about, you know, the head poking through when you're holding a barbell overhead. And a lot of athletes do that. Uh, and what this means is that they're pushing their head through as much as they possibly can. And this is just a side note, by the way, just something I want to, I want to yeah. tackle and pick on real quick. Well, but, it matters here. It matters yeah. Here. That they are pushing their head through, ducking their head down as much, seemingly as much as they can and pushing the bar back as far as they can. And I think that, you know, most of the athletes that I've come across feel like it's something that they have to do because they have had limited um, overhead mobility or comfort, you know, either stemming from the shoulder or the upper back or whatever it's stemming from. It's, you know, 
they're taking this too far. And so for me, you know, the first part of it before trying to really assess and change their mobility, if that's what needs to happen, is getting them to understand that they don't have to do that. Let's pull the head back and let's pull the bar forward a little bit to align them better so that now you're immediately, I mean, once you get some reps in and you, you find a feel for it, you're immediately in a stronger, more stable position in a more comfortable position. I'm not going to say it fixes everything immediately, but I think before we have the discussion about mobility for your shoulders, specifically for overhead, how about you assess your position or do you feel like you have to duck your head through and push the bar back as hard as you can? Is that how you are doing your overhead squats and your snatches? And it's kind of goes back to what you talked about with efficiency and fatigue like if you're doing that on every single rep, whether it's one rep or multiple reps in a CrossFit workout, you're kind of wasting too much energy, right? So let's fix that. And then let's, you know, look at your mobility and make some changes there if needed. Right. Yeah. And there's a really good point here that I think it's, we have to highlight with overhead positions and this kind of situation of head position and shoulder position. I've had some really long discussions with Mike Cerberus and you and Aaron and Dan about this of what you might see an elite level weightlifter do at an Olympic competition because he's trying to get one more kilo than his competitors versus what is optimal and what is maybe a compensation, right? So right. When, when you go overhead, if you don't have the range of motion you need to go overhead, there are some common compensations that happen. One of which is the head may dip really far forward because the bar needs to be back over your head. And in your brain, you're like, well, the bar is behind my head relative to where I want to be, but your, your forward head might be really, really significant, right? Also, one we see quite a bit in some of the highest level lifters is a very deliberate internal rotation of the shoulders very, very far in to try to get, you know, that last end range. And there's a very big difference between what is a compensation because you are right, missing right. overhead position and what is a deliberate technical, you know, skill set that your coach has given you to get like 0.001% more better, right? So I think that's what we've decided and we, we've kind of con consensus statement between all of us is like, we're trying to teach what is the most optimal way to be healthy and do what you want to do. And then if you get to the very tip top of your game and you're talking about the elite international stage, maybe yes, that very deliberate internal rotation, that very deliberate head forward position, because it works for you, it's going to be different. But the majority of people, 99% of people, the forward head, the very exaggerated internal rotation, the widening of the hands, um, that is probably not optimal. It's probably not as good situation. And we'd like to break that down and, and try to figure out how do we get your improved overhead position to be better. And then we can clean up some technical things because I, I would personally rather see from a health point of view and a performance point of view, and I think all of us agree, stacking the shoulders with a more armpit forward position and a more relative head back and a more comfortable bar stack is probably better for clean and jerks and snatches um, in the long run. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would agree. I mean, of course, these, you know, topics that we're, we're covering now talking about um, shoulder rotation with the bar overhead. And I, I really like to look at that as more how the arm is twisted. Are you, is your arm twisted forward or, or rotated? Is your arm rotated forward or is your arm twisted or rotated back? Um, yep. And I want it to be twisted or rotated back as much as possible. And, you know, um, I think in the community in general, we talk about that being external or internal shoulder rotation, but correct me if I'm wrong, if your arm is overhead, whether the arm is twisted forward or back is the, isn't the shoulder in more of an externally rotated position anyway. So just kind of a, a, a side note there, but how is your arm twisted overhead? And if you're going to emulate 
the best lifters in the world. I mean, you know, writing a book right now, I mean, I'm in the process and you know how that is, Dave. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to get this done? But <laughs> what I do with the majority of my day when I'm writing is I'm confirming what I'm saying by watching videos, looking at pictures. So I'm looking at the best lifters in the world for a large portion of the day, every day right now. And I've been doing that for years and in, in trying to to write this book and put out the best product that I can. But what I can tell you is that, yes, there are some that are, I would say with their arm extremely rotated forward or twisted forward where the, the bend of the elbow is pointing forward. Um, but that's man, less than 1%, I would say are at that extreme. Most of them are going to be with it, uh, twisted all the way back or in more of a mid position. So, mm. you know, um, maybe only partially completely twisted forward because to be extreme in that twist forward position is, is pretty weak and unrealistic for heavy, heavy load yeah. to have that overhead. And again, most of them aren't exaggerated with their head ducked very far forward. Most of them are in a much better alignment, like very close to bar being in line with the back of the head is where most of the elite lifters are, I would say. So if we go back and, and say, you know what, like you talked about, what is a compensation and what is purposeful and what is kind of ideal Again, even if we look at most of the best in the world, even if they're exaggerating a little bit in those two areas, it still isn't too extreme. And mm. again, the biggest percentage of them are more twisted all the way back with the arm or mm. very close to it or and with the bar in line with the back of the head or very close to it. So just something to keep in mind there as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Awesome. So uh, went off on a few tangents there, which is beautiful and lovely, but that leads us into the next part of this, which is for you as a physical therapist, what leads you to initially assess shoulder mobility? Um, is it something that you just do in general anyways, or is there something, a specific compensation or compensations that lead you to that? Yeah. So generally people, when they come to us with issues are either performance issues or they're in pain, right? Those are the two reasons that usually someone seeks out my, my services. And so generally when I talk to that person, they're telling me, you know, I, 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 I get to like 85, 95% of my lifts and I can never quite get through to my next, you know, level of jerk position, or my coach always says the bar is slightly more forward. And that's why I'm catching things out the front, right? Or yeah, something performance wise mm -hmm. is why they're struggling, right? Or they come, they say like, my wrist really bothers me, my shoulders really hurt after I do a heavy jerk day, or I can't get quite I can't quite get through handstand workouts, or in a gymnastics point of view, their skills are, are sore or painful. So that generally is why they come to me. And then we always check a pretty comprehensive full body movement assessment and anyone who comes because we try right. to provide that as our system. But you know, we're checking someone's head position and some arm position overhead. And we'll see those compensations usually uh, pop out, we'll watch a video or a lift, or we'll watch them do something, and we'll see those compensations, or we'll see when they move their arms overhead, that they don't have the basic, you know, 180 degree of shoulder overhead position that you, you probably need for sports. So we'll see the head dip forward, we'll see the arms go wide, we'll see the armpits turn in, we'll see the elbows bend, we'll see some of these things, we'll see someone's torso be pitched forward in a, in a snatch when they can't quite receive well. So these are all key indicators to us that we have to break these things down. And what we do from a medical assessment is, we, we look at the different things that can contribute to limited, you know, overhead position. So the first one that most people miss, honestly, is thoracic spine position. That's really, really important because that drives where your shoulder blades go, which drives where your arms go. Mm -hmm. So we look at that first. And then the next piece of that is breaking down, as we talked about in the first episode, is 
in our shoulder joint, we can break it out into passive things and active things. So we always want to make sure and check that someone's like capsular position is okay, which is very, very rare for someone to have capsular issues. If they're a little bit older, they're maybe getting into barbell work for the first time is like a 30, 40, 50 year old which we highly encourage, right? But if someone who's typically a little older or has an old injury, they might have some capsular issues, but 95% of people fall in the past or the active flexibility, which is like muscles, right? So, and then there's another kind of breakdown in the tree, which is what muscles can limit overhead positions. So it'd probably be useful if I just go through those step-by-step versus like, you know, making it too confusing. Is that cool? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So we always try to uh, break down, okay, what's the thing we're looking at? What's the screen? What can we do about it? Right. That's kind of our, we want to prove to ourselves as scientists that this is the problem they have. So thoracic spine position, you need to have somebody uh, extend their thoracic spine and rotate their thoracic spine Mm -hmm. to get go good overhead position because when the, upper back is extended, the shoulder blades can tip backwards and rotate out. And that can mean your arm can be in a good stack position overhead, right? If you don't have the upper back extending, the shoulder blades will probably tip more forward and inward, and that might push the arms forward. So we check thoracic spine flexibility by doing a press up test, laying on your stomach, pressing up and seeing if they have an even curve all the way in their upper back, if we can see that curve reversal. But also you can sit on the corner of something and try to turn your body 50 degrees in each side. We want to see the collarbones rotate 50 degrees each way. And that gives us a general idea that you have enough passive range of motion to, you know, get your arms overhead from a thoracic spine point of view. If you don't have that, many of the exercises people know, you know, getting over a medicine ball with a dumbbell behind your head, doing some windmills, doing some hands and knees turns, uh, you want to work on that quite a bit. But that that's usually what some people miss and they jump right to like, you know, shoulder stuff. So right, I would right. check that out first. And then the next piece past that is, you know, if you you suspect you have some capsular stiffness or you have an old shoulder injury or you're a little older, there are some uh, medical assessments that a PT or an AT or a sports chiropractor can do to just test the joint glides out. And it's, it's, I'm going to skip over that because it's really not something that somebody should mess with on each other. Most people don't have that problem. But if you are someone who like, you broke your shoulder, you had an old shoulder surgery, you have something where you're older, you have diabetes, and you're, you're trying to get past that, you can check into that and see but most people don't have that problem. The next thing you look at is you want to make sure that the uh, the shoulder joint, the muscles around the shoulder joint that commonly limit flexibility are all checked off the box. And as a tangent, Dan and I and you and some other people have talked about how in like sports like baseball and gymnastics, we have good research that repetitive motions make some of these muscles very stiff. And because CrossFit is, is new and maybe the medical side of weightlifting is, is very new with this, we are finding in a lot of athletes who we work with year round at the highest level that just doing the sport itself can get some adaptive stiffness of these muscles, but also the repetitive nature of some things in CrossFit, weightlifting and gymnastics make certain muscles very prone to stiffness, right? So the lats, Terry's major in particular, if you're really good keeping the barbell close to you, you're going to have lat firing all the time and Terry's is going to be really pulling. So it's common and we've, uh, I don't, want to name drop, but we've worked with some really high level weightlifters who I've seen over the course of two years working with them get stiffer and stiffer and stiffer because of how hard they pull the bars to their body when they clean and when they snatch because they have great technique. Same thing with gymnastics, same thing with CrossFit, all the, the toes to bar, the rope climbs, the, the leg lifts, all that kind of stuff maybe makes the lat and Terry's really, really overactive. So that's kind of the reason maybe someone is having this uh, combination of repetitive overuse, but also maybe their strength programming is not balanced enough uh, to make sure they get enough of pushing and pulling ratio. But that sets somebody up to have some of these muscles be your stiff. And the four biggest ones that I have yet to treat a weightlifter, 
a CrossFit athlete, a gymnast who doesn't have something from a muscular point of view stiff here, if, if mobility is an issue. The biggest one being the lat, latissimus dorsi, yeah. and the second most biggest one being the teres major, and then past that, maybe the long head of the triceps, the subscapularis, and the pecs. Those those five, sorry, not four, usually are something in those five categories. If this, the thoracic spine is not an issue, the neck and thoracic spine is not an issue, and they still can't go to overhead passively. It's probably one of those five things. And so before I talk about screening those, is there anything you want to follow up on? Because I feel like I'm talking way too much. No, no, you're good. This is this is great. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the big thing that that I took from that that I think is probably fair to say is that if a, if an athlete is going to perform a weightlifting program, let's say, for years and they're they're working to be the best weightlifter that they can be uh, or whatever goals that they may have they're working towards those and here's the thing by nature weightlifting the snatch and the clean and jerk and the exercises that you should be doing to support that uh, and the ranges that you should be getting in into to support that um, there's mobility work in there so you're going to maintain a certain level of mobility just by being on a weightlifting program, if you have good technique, if you're squatting all the way down and pausing in the bottom of your squat and holding certain key positions the way that you should. But at the same time, if you're only doing those movements over and over and over again, it sounds like you're saying there are certain parts of the body that may stiffen up over time. That makes it more important for you to be doing side work, um, uh, you know, mobility work or position work with, with light weights and exaggerating these positions. Um, again, we'll talk more about exaggerated positions more later. And we talked a lot about that in the previous recording that we did, but with what you're saying there, it just, it, again, it excites me because it's more, it makes it more important for athletes to do these, uh, you know, short sequences on a regular basis to exaggerate, to get some mobility work in, to make sure that you're not just constantly tightening a little bit here and a little bit there over time, because you're never exaggerating. And all you're doing are just the movements that yes, by nature do have mobility work in them, but at the same time, your body will lock to those ranges into those positions, into those actions that you're constantly doing. My front rack position is a good example of that. And I will tell you that because I'm doing front squats with straps a lot, which is an exaggerated exercise that is in the barbell mobility program all the time, because I'm working on that position and doing um, certain drills like smashing my triceps uh, because my triceps uh, have tightened over the years of doing my front squats and my jerks out of my fingertips as opposed to a full grip. And now that's not a wrong thing to do. Like that's a legitimate technique and a legitimate style to use for cleans for jerks if you choose to do that. But what I was missing in my career is only doing that and never doing some full grip front squats or some front squats with straps. And so my body absolutely molded to mm. that position and that action that I was doing, which taught me a very, very valuable lesson. And so that's just one example, I think, of what you're, what you're talking about there. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point you make is that we see this all the time. And we're really lucky at our facility in Boston that we, we see people year round. And we also see them for sports performance goals, not just injuries, right? So when you see someone across an entire competitive season, it gives you a different appreciation for how their body changes in, in a normal response to their competitive season or their demands. And so you want someone to be sports specific in some of their adaptations, right? Like, 
it's going to happen that weightlifters get maybe some stiffness in their lats and some stiffness in their upper body because it helps them pull the bar more effectively and it helps them stack their positions well. But we're always teaching people that we don't want to let that sport-specific adaptation gets so far down the continuum that it starts interfering with other positions, right? And this example of holding the barbell really close to you and keeping it close to your hip and pulling it into your hip for triple extension, it's great if you have really, really strong lats to do that as the weight gets heavier, but it's not good if that lat tightness and teres tightness starts to then negatively mm -hmm. affect your overhead position. Right. We see this in gymnastics too. We see this in CrossFit. So we want to keep it within a buffer here of sport specific to be advantageous, but not so sport specific and extreme that it starts to cause dis you know pain or injury or you can't catch your lifts well. So that's kind of where this concept comes from. My boss taught me this with, with major league baseball players watching to see how they change over a season. I see this with gymnasts and CrossFit and weightlifters. So that's the, that's the concept we're trying to apply here. Uh, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. And and another thing that I love that you said before we get into uh, the other stuff that you were heading towards is yep. you talked about, you know, the, the conversations about shoulders, but mm -hmm. I love that you said before shoulders comes T-spine, mm -hmm. right? So what, what you're saying is that there's a priority there. Mm -hmm. And if your T-spine is tight in certain ways or in general with the test that you explained, then you're spinning your probably spinning your wheels and wasting your time working on the shoulders specifically. And to me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's true for say, if we go further down the body and talk about the ankles. Mm -hmm. So if your ankles are really, really stiff and really, really tight, it's going to cause issues. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it up or down the chain? I, I always uh, get that confused, uh, but yeah, yeah. it's going to uh, cause, it's going to cause issues up the chain. So it may need it for your shoulders and your best overhead position. It may very likely be that you need to work on your ankles first, mm -hmm. and then we can take that back up to um, the T-spine, which is probably the area right before the shoulders. Would you agree? Or, or would you say that that, so T-spine before lats? Yeah, probably rank order of, uh, checking the boxes to make sure it's not you would want to go t-spine then probably capsular if you have an old injury and if not then you start to go down the, the checklist of, of muscular tightness and you make a good point and the reason this is, is because weightlifting in particular and i'm going to be biased to say gymnastics um they they, they demand the most amount of holistic mobility yeah. right so uh, particularly a snatch clean and jerk you can get away with some some things here and there which is why a lot of people are really great they love cleaning heavy but they can't you know jerk their weight or they can't snatch well a snatch in particular requires extreme mobility of your ankles, your knees, your hips, and your shoulder and T-spine and your wrists all together. Mm -hmm. And the hard thing here is that a lot of different common, what looks like the, to the naked eye, a problem or a fault in position can be caused by all those things. So say you see someone who snatches with the barbell way far behind them and they're really dumped forward and you're like, I don't think that looks great. That could be a T-spine issue. That could be a shoulder flexibility issue. That could be a hip flexibility issue. That could be an ankle flexibility issue, or that could be just technical and the weight's too heavy. Like you don't know. And that's why you have to have this checklist in your mind to be like, okay, let's go through the boxes. Is it the ankle? No. Is it the hip? No. Is it the T-spine? Yes. Is it the shoulder? Somewhat. Is it the wrist? No. Okay. Let's just focus on the T-spine and that little bit of shoulder and leave the ankles alone right, and just do it as part of our warm-up, but not go crazy on it. You know, you have to really be a detective there because so many people we work with at camp and with every other program, it's crazy how many drills they're doing, thinking that they're at the right uh, you know, uh, pathway for them. But if they just focused on the things that maybe are ruled in with a screen, they would probably save themselves loads of time and effort and money. Awesome. Awesome. Well, 
um, now that we went off on those tangents, yeah. Dave, I can't remember exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly where we were, but, uh, let's, let's pick up. I think you were talking about getting into the assessments. Sure. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So we, so you've checked T-spine off the list. You check those things off the list and you don't have a capsular issue, but you still can't get overhead. And we're not talking about lower body right now. We're just talking on the shoulders. Right. So, right within those five muscles, right? So that you, again, you have to test for all these muscles and then you also have to then do something about those muscles, right? So the biggest one priority wise is probably gonna be the lat. That's the first thing that a lot of people have problems with. And the way you do this is a lat length test. So you lay on your back and you hug your knees to your chest and you turn your palms upward because the lats internally rotate. So you wanna do the opposite of that to make sure you're in the condition you want. And you try to raise your arms all the way over your head. And if you've done your homework and your T-spine and your neck stiffness is not an issue, you should be able to get your thumbs all the way to touch the ground behind you pretty, pretty well. And what happens here is that if you can't do that or if you're limited, what you do is then you then extend your legs straight. And what that does is puts a natural arch back in your lower back, your lats attach down to your hips around that area of your lower back. It's called a thoracolumbar fascia. So if you straighten your legs out and your arms all of a sudden can then touch the back of the ground, we probably have just ruled in that maybe the lats are a little stiff because when we change the, the mm -hmm. lower back position, it changes how your arms go overhead. So that would be a way to rule in for you that you have lat flexibility issues probably. Now, if that's a negative test, the next thing you move on to is Terry's major. And the way you do this test is typically you need someone to help you with this or you need a medical provider, but you bring your arms over your head laying on your back and you have somebody do what's called a scap blocked position. So they take their hand and they kind of push in on your shoulder blade and they try to passively raise your arm overhead. And because mm -hmm. the Terry's major attaches to the shoulder blade, if somebody has really good overhead position without that scap block position, and then you hold that down and you raise somebody overhead and all of a sudden it's really, really limited, well, you're, you're tugging on the, the end of the teres major and you're, you're, you're saying, you know, what's the flexibility of just this muscle? So we'll do a passive range of motion assessment with a lat length test. And then we'll do another test where we put our scat block position in. And then we've probably ruled in or ruled out the teres major. If you have really limited arm overhead position, so maybe like up to like 140 or 130, um, that might tell you you have a lat uh, Terry's major flexibility issues. So, so you don't have either of those. So your lat length is really good. So your scat blocked elevation is really good. The next thing you move on to is probably the pecs. So pec major and pec minor can both limit, uh, particularly the pec major with snatch position, pec minor, maybe more with overhead position, narrow grip, but for pec major, you would want to do a horizontal uh, abduction assessment. So essentially bringing your arm out to the side and seeing if it can passively come behind your body tells you the, 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 uh, the pec length right here. You can also repeat that again, slightly overhead. And if you feel like you have a lot of stretch in your chest and you're very limited, so you can't get your arm down to the table, we may have just ruled in a pec major uh, flexibility uh, problem, which would be maybe why you can't get your overhead position. If that's not on the list, the next thing you move to is pec minor. The way you do this is you actually look from the top down. So someone's laying on their back, you're at the top of their head looking down their body, and you see if their shoulder blades are elevated off the table, right? So your shoulder blade, your coracoid process is this like this bony bump right in the front of your shoulder on your collarbone. That's where the pec minor attaches. So if you're looking down the barrel of someone's head down body and they have a really rounded, elevated position where their shoulder blades and their shoulders are off the table from the top down, that's probably telling you the pec minors are pulling somebody into a forward rounded position of their shoulder blades where the shoulder blades are tipped in and down. And again, if that's really stiff, you don't have the opposite, which is back and out, which is how your arms get fully overhead. So you would try to see if somebody has a pec minor assessment with that. And then, so that's all the way down four, right? Two of the same muscle group. And then lastly, you're looking at subscap and tear in uh, triceps, right? Subscap is very specific. If you can't externally rotate at 90 degrees, you might have a subscap 
uh, stiffness problem. It's very rare to see that in people, but that can sometimes be an issue. You would check that one off the box. And tricep is usually a process of elimination. If you get all the way through that mm-hmm. list and nothing else is limited, it could be the long head of your triceps, which attaches down below as well. Mm. And you would go overhead and see if someone's elbow would um, uh, bend or not be able to stay uh, all the way bent overhead behind their body. So that's like your internal checklist of T-spine, no, check. Neck, no, check. Okay, what's next? Lat, teres, pec major, pec mm-hmm. minor, subscap, triceps. If you get all the way through that list and someone still does not have what passively on the table is not showing up in the actual lifts or when they do technical work, we have a strength and or a a control problem, right? We have Mm -hmm. a technical issue and a strength deficit. We don't have a passive mobility problem. So that's how you would rule in whether somebody has a passive or, you know, more technical based issue. Awesome. I I love it. And I want to go back and ask you about, I think the first test you were talking about, yeah, you were, um, you were had them lay on their back holding yep. a PVC pipe with an undergrip. Yep. Right? That's right. And so were you saying that you want their knees up? Yeah. So you lay on your back. Yeah. You hug your knees all the way to your chest. Okay. Okay. Somebody gotcha. possibly put your knees up. Yep. And that just keeps you're doing that to keep their back from arching so they can't compensate and touch the ground in that way. Yeah. And what that's doing is by flexing your lower back, you're taking up a lot of slack in the thoracolumbar fascia, which Mm -hmm. is where the lats attach to. So you're essentially tugging one side of the lats taut. And then when you raise your arms over your head, if there's stiffness, you won't be able to bring your arm all the way back to the ground. But then when you straighten your legs out and you arch into a small anterior pelvic tilt, you're, you're releasing the tension in that lat uh, attachment point in their lower back. And if there's an improvement in their shoulder range of motion, you've essentially just shown yourself that you're playing tug of war in the lats because when you flex your knees, it limits your lat position. And when you extend your knees and your back, it opens up your lat position. That's because you're, you're mm-hmm. playing with the, the attachment point of the lats. I love that. I love that. And, and it's uh, you know one that I use, and I want to ask your opinion on it, is having an athlete set up against a wall with their legs out if they've got the hamstring Mm-hmm. uh flexibility to do that feet together making sure that their butt is touching the wall their back is touching the wall as much as possible shoulders are touching the wall and then tests with an over grip and an under grip at right, right at about shoulder width would right. you say that effectiveness wise and dummy proof wise so to speak is the laying on the ground with the knees tucked a better option yeah great question so I think that test came from me and Aaron talking like that's what I was doing with gymnastics. And Aaron's like, this might be useful too for weightlifters. So maybe that's the roundabout way I got it. But it's a good question because when you're sitting against gravity and you're going against the wall, that's a comprehensive overall assessment for overhead position to try to figure out whether somebody has an issue or not. Right. So when you put your palms backwards, all of these muscles that we talked about, the pec, the lat, the teres major, they're internal rotators. So by palming up, if you've cleared the T-spine, if somebody can't get to the wall, you're putting all of those muscles that are, are possibly involved here on stretch. So you're probably going to show a limitation. Then if you flip your palms down and it improves, you're kind of further ruling into yourself that something soft tissue-wise is the problem here. So the sitting version is a, is a combination of not only passive flexibility, but also active range of motion control too. So your scaps start to get involved. If you get all the way to the wall, you have active flexibility to get that passive range of motion to go all the way back. So we use that as our starting point test and also to give someone as a, as a marker of progress. The lat length test, when we break somebody down their back, is if they're limited against the wall and we're trying to think in our head, what's the possible reason why the lat length test is a further challenge Mm. on just the lat. So we're using that to see, okay, what's going on into the, why they can't touch the wall. 
But if you have someone, this is a really good bridge um, back to our previous topic is if you have someone who can't get to the wall, but then when you test all these passive flexibility things, you know, thoracic spine, cervical spine, all of the muscles like that, and they still can't get to the wall, you are telling yourself this person passively has enough to get to the wall, but they're just actively not able to get there. You'd want to focus on strength of their upper back, some full range of motion control drills, like pressing overhead, right? You'd want to focus on getting that person stronger. This tends to happen in people who are a little bit younger, who are really hypermobile, who maybe don't have a lot of training experience with barbell work, and maybe they're not strong enough to maintain that overhead position. So that would be one thing. The third category is like a technical issue. Maybe somebody has passive and active on the ground, but when they put a barbell in their hands, technically, they just don't really understand the best way to use that motion. Or, you know, sometimes it's, it's an ego thing where someone's ego gets in the way. They look great at 75 pounds. They look great at 105 pounds. They look terrible at 135 pounds, right? Again, not a passive flexibility or mobility issue. That is a strength and or technique issue that comes down to programming and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all the tests that you ran through or versions of those tests can actually be seen on vaughnweightlifting.com. That's where my blog is. And, and of course, um, I do a lot of collaborations and writing with Dr. Aaron, Aaron Horshig, who you have worked um, some with before as well and had a lot of conversations with, as you said. So um, at least a lot of those tests, the way that you explain them exactly are on there or versions of some of those tests. Mm -hmm. um, so go check out those blogs. I mean, we, you know, aside from that, we have uh, bottom position assessments. We're talking about looking at your, uh, everything from your feet to your ankle, to your tibia, up through your, your T-spine for that, getting into overhead and front rack positions and assessments for that is where you're going to find these specific tests that Dave was talking about. Dave, do you have any, um, uh, links that we can mention or um, uh, videos that we can direct uh, people to for those tests from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, right. We don't want to leave people hanging with like, okay, what do I do about it? Right. Yeah. So the way the way you fix these things is one actually is, is refer to the first podcast because we talked a lot about, you know, how you'd be stretching here, you'd be doing eccentrics and stuff for like your lat or teres major. I do have some YouTube links that go to some tutorials of overhead position and mobility if you want to check that out. Obviously, the stuff that you have in the in the barbell mobility program probably will help people out here. But essentially you're trying to find in a broad overview based on what you find particularly if it's not when you're talking about T-spine, but for muscular stuff, you're trying to do some sort of soft tissue work, foam rolling, lacrosse ball work to that area, maybe 30 to 60 seconds. You're trying to do some sort of specific stretch for that area. For the lat, it's probably going to be one of our favorites, which is you know reverse grip, elbows up on a mat, rounding your T-spine, leaning back mm -hmm. to stretch your lats and teres major. For pecs, it's probably going to be some sort of 90-90 or you know pec minor stretch. Pec minor, a tabletop stretch is really good. So you're like doing a crab position where your hands are behind you and you're lifting your hips up and trying to open the pec minor or just hands behind your back and squeezing your shoulder blades together. You can do those as well. Tricep soft tissue stuff, you know, is, is all the same. You would do some soft tissue work, do some stretching work, and then find the proper eccentric drill and stretching drill that you would need. So lat lowers or, or chin-up lowers for lats and teres major. We do a lot of deficit push-ups on parallettes or uh plates for someone to do like a five-second lower if the pecs are really, really stiff with like a weight on their back with a partner helping out. For triceps, that's also involved too as well. But you would want to find a few soft tissue things to do every day, a few specific stretches for your lats or teres or pecs or whatever, or T-spine, and then some sort of specific eccentric work. And then whatever position you're trying to get into, do some sort of technical drill to solidify that position. So do yep. very light 
uh, push jerks with a five second hold overhead with just the barbell, right? Or do some dumbbell pressing or do, you know, whatever exercise you're going to work on for the day or what you want to get a better improvement in. Um, you would do some drills from, you know, some, some people you've coached or find out or, or things that we have on power monkey to then solidify those positions and just do two rounds of that every single day, five or six days per week, and then retest against the wall to see if you're making progress. Perfect. Perfect. And, you know, to bring the barbell mobility program into this, we're talking about the shoulders, uh, specifically overhead position. Again, we have to remember that the T-spine, the lats, all these areas that Tilly talked about are a part of the shoulder. They're supporting right. the shoulder. And again, we can right. take that all the way back to the ankle, as we we've said before, but specifically talking about that overhead position and what you're going to see in the barbell mobility program the most important thing I think that you're going to see are just you getting into exaggerated positions. And what that's going to be is a catch-all, meaning Mm -hmm. that wherever you're most limited in your overhead position, by exaggerating your overhead position, that is by nature going to be worked. And again, that's going to be combined with stuff like lat stretching or uh, tricep, uh, tricep smashing um, pec smashing or, uh, pec stretching, you know, and again, we could go on and on and on. There's so many, really a lot of different drills that you can do for those specific areas. But in general, I believe no matter what your major area of limitation is, as you said, Dave, you need to be pairing that with some sort of movement and to move into an exaggerated position to me is the best thing that you can do. So one of the ways that we do that is with something like a lat box stretch or a T-spine box stretch, as you mentioned, Dave, that's an exaggerated position, you know, right. putting your elbows up on the box, holding with the reverse grip or with an overgrip, the yep. overgrip, you're going to want to arch your, your back and well, no, let's see. No, I'm wrong there. I think you, we want to do yeah. under grip all the time on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, always under grip there, but round. Yeah. Rounding is going to be your lat and then arching your back is going to hit your T-spine a little bit more. So we, we do T-spine box stretches or uh, T-spine box, what I call arm pumps, where you're getting into that arch position and straightening and, and bending your arms. That's an exaggerated position, but known as a mobility drill uh, in a stretch. Another way that I, I love to exaggerate the overhead position is to hold the bar with an under grip Uh, go behind your neck and do what I call just simply behind the neck press and stretch. Mm -hmm. So you're going to press straight up and hold the bar directly over the top of your head for a few seconds Mm -hmm. and then push the bar back as, as much as you can to get into that exaggerated position. Now with that, you need to make sure that your, your quads are flexed, your, your glutes are flexed, your abs are crunched down, really exaggerating towards a hollow position. So you can get a better stretch on those lats. We can do the same thing with an over grip with the regular grip, trying Mm -hmm. to bring those hands in more and more narrow to exaggerate the position as well. So exaggerating the position. I mean, I think I'm going to talk about exaggerated positions and and methods on every single barbell mobility (laughs) recording that I do, because it is so much of what the program is and the, what at the way that athletes can benefit from this program that is general is you're getting into your key positions, your regular key positions, your exaggerated key positions and easier uh, positions. And again, we make those easier by simply elevating your heels and, and other things that we can do to make that happen. But another thing that you talked about in all that, Dave, is that if you go through all these assessments and you don't see any issues, but there's still compensation then we're starting to talk about a strength and technique issue. And what I want to say about the barbell, barbell mobility program with that is that because we're having you 
say one of the, one of these simple exercises that we'll do is or combinations is a behind the neck press and stretch like I talked about with a reverse grip or an, an over grip. And then the next exercise is simply a behind the neck strict press. Mm -hmm. And with that behind the neck strict press or even regular press, you're going to do say three to five reps, but then the indication is to hold overhead on the last rep for 10 to 15 seconds. Right. So that hold, even though you've got light weight on there, bar or a little bit of weight is going to head towards stability and strengthening your upper body, your shoulders, uh, your upper back for that specific, for that specific position or doing overhead squats, any, any squat that you do in this program is going to have a pause in it. So, you know, three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, maybe even longer, but by simply holding those, uh, positions, the, the, the position in itself, holding it, it's going to le lead towards stability and strength. So to strengthen it to its maximum potential, do you need to have more weight on there? Yes, eventually, but first and foremost, we need the mobility and the range of motion to get to the best position. We then need some time and reps with lighter weights to begin mm -hmm. the, the uh, ingraining and strengthening process to get you to the point to where you can load more and more weight on there. And that's what the barbell mobility program is going to offer you. And also technique because we are slowing you down and making you hold these positions, which is going to lend to better technique for yourself as well. Yep. Couldn't agree more, man. Crushed it. Hit the nail on the head. Awesome. Well, I, I think uh, I think you and I talk about these things all the time. Yeah. So we we I think we we end up with the ability to to explain to explain things well, and and hopefully it comes across that way. But Dave, you know, I think we can we can wrap it up with uh, with where we're at here. Certainly appreciate the info that you provided once again. And this is the second recording we've done now. I think we're probably going to have to to do another one that's more specific to front rack. But I will say, and I'm I'm you know, sure you'll agree that a lot of what we talked about for overhead position and shoulder and T-spine and lats are yep. going to relate 100% to your front rack position as well. I think there's a few more specific things for that, that position. Yep. Um, but as a whole, I think that really does a good job of, of covering the front rack position as well. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd say probably 75 to 80% of what we talked about today is probably going to be a catch off for the front rack too. And like you said, a couple of weird little nuances because of the way the shoulder is positioned, but generally, yes, you're, you're probably in a very similar bucket. Awesome. Well, be, before we get off here, like I said, in the last recording, I always like to have a, a last question that, that is just for the guest specifically, that, that is a little different maybe than what we talked about before, but mm -hmm. of the key positions that we address and we work on constantly in the barbell mobility program, we're talking about bottom position, we're talking about start position, front rack, and overhead. Are there any of those four that you struggle with more than the other? Yeah, uh, probably, I would say probably overhead is probably the one that catches up to me the most because I have pretty good natural hip mobility. So squatting and, and the hinging position is decent for me. Um, but I, I'm, I'm very much a, a victim of that. what I talked about, which is I did gymnastics my whole mm -hmm. life and I do a lot of like barbell work still. So I'm constantly in an uphill battle to just make sure that my, my lats and like my soft tissue is, is staying pretty, pretty mobile. So I'm constantly working on my overhead position, you know, and warm-ups and drills and stuff like that. Awesome. And I'm, I'm curious uh, that you say that because I was interested to see how you were going to answer that because I know I, I've seen you move. I've seen you lift. I've seen you do jet gymnastics. And I know that you have really good overall mobility. I would say probably some of the best from uh, gymnasts that I've seen and gymnasts are known as to be very flexible, to be very mobile, 
But to be honest, a lot of the gymnasts that I've seen at Power Monkey Camp and that I've come across are really pretty tight. And, and I think that stems from what you're talking about, getting into some of these positions and the actions that you're doing in a repetitive fashion uh, over years. And one of those areas is actually the shoulders in the overhead position. Uh, yeah. Dave is actually really flexible there. Dave Durante is actually really flexible there because he does so much handstand and he does get into exaggerated positions and he works on that specific position so much that his front rack and his overhead are, are great, yeah. you yeah. know? Uh, but I was interested to see how you would answer that. And being that you feel overhead position is the most limited for you, is there one or two actions from gymnastics that you think contributed to that most? Yeah. So I was, um, I think the the twisting of gymnastics, when you wrap to twist and skills, sometimes you pull really hard inward. And that's like a lot of lat activation. It's a lot of that. But also just, you know, four out of the six events for men's gymnastics are very shoulder and lat dominant. So parallel bars, high bar rings, um, and pommel horse, they have a lot of demand on the shoulders. So I think by nature, you get that repetitive action more versus in, in the female gymnastics side where I treat, it's typically their hips. That's usually what's more the soft tissue of their quads, their adductors, their calves, stuff like that. So yeah, it's a common, I learned this from, from Mike Ronald and Lenny from champion in baseball is that a lot of hypermobile athletes can be loose and tight at the same time, loose jointed, but tight muscularly. And that's something that was a huge eye opener for me that I transferred into the gymnastics world and it's changing now, but we're seeing this in, in the weightlifting CrossFit community as well. And Dave's a really good example and many other people are is that you can still get soft tissue stiffness from repetitive overuse and be capsular wise joint laxity. And it's actually a really bad problem we see because what happens is the joint capsules start to stretch out more because they're loose to make up for the differences that people don't have in soft tissue flexibility, which causes some, some movement of the shoulder that's uncomfortable and some lateral rotator cuff stuff. So yeah, it's a constant education point that I have. And for me, knowing from gymnastics, how that caught up with me, I, I luckily have really good T-spine mobility, but my shoulders, soft tissue is constantly something I work on all the time because I still do a lot of handstands training and also barbell work. So if I don't properly take care of the soft tissue, do my cuff exercises, do a lot of upper back pulling to keep my scap strong, I start to feel my shoulders bug me a little bit and I get some problems. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a non-negotiable for me that if I do any upper body work, I have to go through a really good, you know, progressive warm up program. Yeah. Well, that's also interesting in, in what it leads me to think and what I want to ask you with that. And, and we're kind of just going too far with this, but that's okay. Yeah, um, I would say that your handstand work and the handstand, you know, repetitions and things that you want to do in a handstand still are being benefited just by simply doing barbell work. And mm, I would agree. You would agree with that. So it just because you're getting repetitions, it, it, you know, I would say the barbell we can say is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration of of what a handstand is. And I believe the same is true, vice versa. A weightlifter that is more specific weightlifter is going to benefit in position, strength, stability, mobility by getting into a handstand, you know, yeah. because it's something that's a little bit different. The position is going to be at least slightly different. So it's going to, I guess, encapsulate uh, you as an athlete a little bit more completely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely a good, you know, back and forth. You can make the discussion between weightlifting and gymnastics. Actually, Aaron has reached out to me and like wants to do more handstand drills and stuff to benefit yeah. his overhead position. So I've talked to him about that. But also, again, hate name dropping, but some very, very high level weightlifters that you and I are friends with and work with have wanted more accessory work for gymnastics and handstand positions because they feel as though it makes their stack jerk position much more comfortable. And it's a good way to add more capacity to their overhead position without adding stress of weight and kilos, right? So it's a good way to kind of balance this. But 
There's also the, the second layer, which is something I'm a huge fan passionate of is, is the fact that gymnasts should be using hybrid weightlifting programs yep. and barbells, kettlebells, dumbbells to augment their gymnastics training. That is another thing we see like a huge change happening in gymnastics right now is young kids starting to do some, some weight training to benefit some of their, their, their floor forces and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely something we're seeing change uh, at a pretty blistering pace. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there's definitely a lot more weightlifters that either have done a decent amount of gymnastics uh, training in the past, and they've gotten into to weightlifting through CrossFit and through gymnastics and everything else like that. Um, and honestly, like you can just see the benefit that they got from that undoubtedly. And one, uh, a couple great examples, Harrison Morris and Hampton Morris, they're not related, their names are spelled, their last names are spelled differently. But Harrison was a gymnast before he was a weightlifter and he just went to the Olympics and killed it, got fourth place, you know, potentially will, will end up with a medal when, when the drug test results got, I don't, I don't even remember who he competed against. So I shouldn't say that, but, yeah. uh, but Hampton Morris, if you watch him and he's a barbell mobility, uh, ambassador, he's a great example. This kid is killing it. Uh, you know, uh, world, I think he's got a couple world records, many, many national records, youth world championship, uh, all those kind of things. And if you watch his Instagram, he is constantly doing accessory work, not just the, the lifts, but a part of that accessory work, he does a lot of handstand holds. I think he does that. If I remember correctly, at least like three days a week, mm -hmm. uh, getting into that position. And certainly, I mean, th there's no way that you can't say that those things haven't benefited from haven't benefited him now as a potential he's just a freak and it doesn't matter what he does yeah i guess but I, I don't believe that i think a lot of his success has to do with the accessory work that he's doing and he's doing stuff on the side of his olympic lifting program but dave before we go too far with this i mean we could do a whole other episode while, on um, just talking <laughs> about this stuff and maybe we'll come back and do that you know along with i'd love to talk to you more about the front rack as well but uh we'll, we'll go ahead and get get off here thank you so much once again for your time and for the informa information that you shared yeah buddy always a pleasure happy to be here Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just wanna let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you wanna have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it, and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.